Hello, and welcome to the Well-Spoken Podcast, where transformational leaders explore the mindsets, motivations, and methodologies of impact-driven businesses. I am your host, Dr. Delray Messer, doctor of chiropractic, social impact entrepreneur, mom of two, and a go-giver, empowering you through the stories of leaders who dare to challenge the status quo and collaborate to co-create an equitable and sustainable future together. Welcome back to the Well-Spoken Podcast, where transformational leaders explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of impact-driven businesses. I am here with a very special guest. To be completely transparent, I was very nervous. Um, I had a talk with myself in the mirror, and my little nine-year-old empowered me today because Eva has really changed my life. Reading her book allowed me to be able to connect my passion and purpose for impact-driven businesses and transformational leadership uh, and just get bold and brave about talking more about this. So thank you so much for being our guest today. I'm so grateful for you for taking the time and I'm excited for everybody to get to know your story. I got to to hear a little bit about your origin story, but I'd love for you to share with everybody what um, brought you into this new business of conscious investing. Thank you so much, Delray. It's so great to be here with you. Um, I, I agree that conscious investing can change one's life as it did mine. And this concept, um, came to me, I think a lot through a family upbringing of a focus on justice and leadership and innovation, and also, um, living in Africa, which is where my dad grew up. Um, and in general, I kind of took a more traditional path. Um, I ended up working on Wall Street, but I grew up in a place called Staten Island. And so a lot of people laugh when they hear that. So if you're laughing, (laughs) that's okay. Um, I actually did, uh, my actually Colin Jost's uh, mother was my pediatrician. Um, So yeah, um, but I think what it means to grow up on Staten Island typically is that you, you are so close to the financial center of the world, but you do not have access to the keys to finance. Mm -hmm. You don't learn that language, you know, firsthand. Um, Like your dad is not a Wall Street investment banker that can walk you through how to fund your company from pre-seed to series B until you IPO it. Mm -hmm. And so what I learned was, I think, really important in becoming a conscious investor, which is that not everybody has the keys. Not everybody has the language. And that lit a fire inside of me when I started to work on Wall Street. I was lucky enough to have a very um, fun and exciting and meaningful career working in the hedge fund industry, working with the activist hedge fund managers. But when the financial crisis hit, and we had a little mini version of that a couple weeks ago, which is definitely felt like deja vu, When this financial crisis hit, I really realized that finance was not working for everyone. And it hit me hard because I knew what that actually looked like from my upbringing. Um, My parents are artists. They're lucky. They've done a good job financial planning for themselves, but they don't speak the language of money. Um, And I was not taught that. And so what I immediately decided to do was to think differently about how to use my personal skills as an investor to implement more of my values. Cause I knew that I was not values aligned with the big short trade. I knew that I was not values aligned with making money without purpose. And so that's when I started this 
um, process of becoming a conscious investor. And I pivoted to becoming um, a venture capitalist in emerging markets, which seems like a big pivot, but I'm happy to unpack it. It, it, it makes sense in the full story of this, of, of kind of becoming a conscious investor for me. Amazing. I would love for you to unpack it for us. But first, I have a question. I feel a lot of people have struggled the past few years. I think COVID slowed us down to be able to take a look at our lives and and understand what's meaningful to us. Uh, the Great Resignation was something that a lot of people chose to participate in, I believe, because we're starting to look for more work um, that has dignity and purpose in it. So how would you define purpose? I would define purpose as being aligned with your values. And what I think is beautiful about that particular definition and why I've held on to it is because it doesn't mean that my values have to be the same as yours. And I've been on an interesting um, almost decade now living in the city of Dallas, Texas. And I grew up in the Northeast of our country. I had never lived off of a coast or in Europe in my entire life when I moved here eight years ago. And I think that um, this kind of understanding that everybody's values are their own has actually been shaped by living in a completely different place than where I grew up. Um, and knowing that, you know, somebody's values can be very different than mine, but we can actually still agree. So that's, that's what purpose for me is. It's not, I'm right, you're wrong. It's not moral shaming. It's not, you know, I'm here because I have impact with my investments and you're not, and you don't, you're not there yet. So you're lesser than everybody's on a journey. And, and to go one step further here, um, we'll probably talk about some acronyms around impact investing and ESG. And what ESG is, is it's environmental, social, and governance investing or screening on a portfolio. And a lot of very pure impact investors will look at ESG and say, that's not impact investing. And the reason I think it's important to point this out is because if, in my view, if somebody wants to have purpose by toe dipping into an ESG exchange traded fund or mutual fund or portfolio stocks or bonds, that's really easy for them to continue to meet their financial goals but have an element of impact in their lives, that is, it is not my position or job or, or station in the world to tell them that that is not having purpose because they may see that as living their values. Similarly, making your consumer choices lined up with your values um, can absolutely have tremendous purpose. And if that's the only thing that you're doing, I think that's enough too. Beautiful. I relate to that. I grew up in a really small rural family farming community in North Dakota and then moved to downtown Minneapolis. So I am very passionate about immersion in other cultures to be able to really have empathy and understand people's value systems. Uh, so I love that takeaway. And, you know, let's unpack where you're at now. You wrote a book. I have it right here. I keep it on my desk it's called The Good Your Money Can Do. When I read it, it ignited a passion in me that I have not felt in years. I felt so validated and I also learned a lot and I took basic steps instead of trying to unpack everything financially, I did what you suggested, which was tackle one thing at a time. First, taking inventory on what I was purchasing because that helped me to understand that I was voting for the world that I wanted to see. 
every time I made a purchase and I involved my girls in this conversation. Tell us what ignited your passion for impact investing. And then let's unpack that question of where you're at right now. You know, impact investing for me was a natural extension of one of my zones of genius, which is investing. And I think it is important to zero in on, in the book I describe, you know, what position can you have in the movement? Um, yes, I'm good at connecting people, but am I like a connector? No. Am I even like a, you know, a visionary that is, you know, probably more of a visionary that's not able to execute? No. Um, I, so I really zeroed in on where I could have the greatest impact. Um, and that is exactly why I believe that let's not, we should not let perfect be the enemy of good um, in this kind of journey of becoming a conscious investor. It's also why I coined the term conscious investor to be distinct from impact investor. Because to me, impact investor is really being an investor with your money. And that's what the world has defined impact investing to be. And it's hard to show up at a meeting or meet with a financial advisor and start talking about your, your consumer choices or start talking about you know, products that you support or even your voice or your vote as a means of expressing your values. Um, conscious investing is using all your tools and lining them up with who you are. Um, so for me, um, what ignited my passion, you know, kind of to, to be an impact investor and a conscious investor was maybe seeing how things were, could have been done a little bit better. Um, I definitely believe that that's another area. I'm, I'm very entrepreneurial. I'm a problem solver. And so that's another area where I felt I could contribute. Um, but again, that may be different for other people. Um, and I just, I saw this as fitting squarely into the area where I felt like it could have the most impact. Amazing. You mentioned your childhood and your upbringing. I know you mentioned in your book, the story of your parents and it, it resonated with me because I grew up with parents that were very driven by values and shaping our character through work ethic and growing up on a farm um, adaptability and kindness and compassion. Your childhood was such an interesting story and I would love for you to be able to share how it shaped you and who you are today. I grew up in a highly creative environment and what that means was I was taken around to all the galleries in New York City and um, shown a world that I don't think many people actually get to see because there aren't many professional artists out there relative to the total population size. Um, but my, I was trained in a couple ways. My eye was trained and, you know, I can't move away from art as something that's a piece of me and that I love so deeply. Um, but I think that the creative piece was actually the key to who I am today. So I moved from Wall Street to impact investing to conscious investing. And in the first phase of just being an impact investor, I was unwilling to recognize that there was almost like a rethinking or a need to do things differently and more creatively as an investor to get where I wanted to be, which was to be fully aligned. 
And I had to go out on a limb as a venture capitalist and write a book for anybody, not just for investors, not just for founders, somewhat outside of my industry, um, even though sharing stories of the companies that I had invested in. Um, and I, I had to do things somewhat differently. But I have to say that, you know, being the daughter of two artists and, you know, growing up in a very highly visual world had a serious impact on the way I view impact um, as a part of my, my daily life. My parents were also quite conscious, socially conscious, environmentally conscious. You know, my dad had the compost heap forever. Um, and he was always talking about food waste or, you know, specific things that are now very much so in the zeitgeist, but they were pretty normal for me. So that training also really helped me have the muscle to walk around the world and say, wow, you know, that's maybe not right. Or I can see that playing out and not working out so well for us, or, you know, we should have a better system as well. Um, so, that, so I think that ultimately discounting creativity in the conscious investing journey, I think is probably a misstep. And, it, you know, if I were to write another book, I would definitely focus zero in on that for the reader, because it's something even in the past couple of years, you know, I've evolved myself as well. Beautiful. Thank you. What are your top three values and why? So I love this question because in the book, I also help the reader define her values. Um, and I do think it's important to have a North star so that you can kind of measure to where you are going um, versus, you know, saying, Oh, I want to have impact, but I don't really know what impact means. Um, for me, I can answer this in a couple ways. Um, the first is just aligning with what are called the sustainable development goals. Um, those are the United Nations development goals that are supposed to be achieved by 2030. They'll create, if we achieve them, they'll create 20, excuse me, $12 trillion um, added to the global economy. Um, and they are the social and environmental goals that are most important in today's world. For me, the ones that I'm most focused on are racial equity, gender equality, and the climate emergency. Um, and those are my personal areas of focus. I also run a venture fund where we focus on zero poverty, productive work, responsible production and consumption, and a number of the other SDGs. Um, however, to take this one step further, in writing The Good Your Money Can Do, I thought a lot about what core attributes we have that can extend out to being aligned with our impact interests. And for me, I really highly value justice, innovation, and leadership. And I think I mentioned previously that those are core values that I also grew up with. Um, but those core attributes and values directly map to my investments and that's why I think it's important to take a step back and not just say, what issue areas do you care about? But who are you at your core as a person? What are the attribute, attributes that you care about? And then how does that relate to the impact that you want to have in the world? That is helpful because being very passionate about a lot of social injustices and problems and challenges that are in the world, I was having a hard time choosing one. And I felt overwhelmed and paralyzed, truly. 
uh, the weight of the pain of the world stopped me many times. And it wasn't until your book being able to help me reverse engineer what was at my core and then choosing those those projects to get behind. So thank you for that clarification. It's important. Now, entrepreneurship does not come without failure and learning lessons. So what was, would you say, one of your biggest learning lessons from failure that you could give us that gave you the most amount of feedback to move forward? I'm going to say that I fail all the time um, because I think that the key ingredient in becoming a conscious investor is not letting perfect be the enemy of good, right? And so that, like the, the small failures are actually the ones I think that add up to providing the best feedback to where to integrate back in to my values. So, you know, understanding that we can't get it all right. Um, there has to be sometimes in today's world, there, there does have to be a trade-off and that is okay. Um, of course, you know, I'm actually really lucky. I don't have any portfolio companies that have had down rounds. We did have a company fail in COVID. I don't even see that as a failure because a global pandemic was absolutely not in my hands. Um, and there was really not much I could have done to help that company that was just raising their round during COVID. So I don't, I don't want to seem like there's, there are no big failures. I would say the small kind of missteps maybe around, you know, making this choice that leads to an unintended consequence, um, even in like a consumer spending perspective, um, or, having, you know, working with my team and, and, you know, frankly, I think being a leader is the hardest thing that I have to do. Um, it's, it, it seems to be the most challenging for me and, you know, making sure that my team is really set up for success. You know, there are always kind of small things that need to be adjusted, but I'm a course corrector and <clears throat> I do not beat up on myself, um, when it comes to being a conscious investor. Um, and I think that, frankly, that's the biggest lesson. Thank you. Leadership is one of your top core values, and you just said it's challenging. I agree. What would be your biggest piece of advice for growing yourself as a leader? And did you have anyone in your life that was an influential leader that has helped shape who you are? I wouldn't have thought about it this way had I not been through executive coaching but I really think my like pro tip for any leader is get a coach um it is especially if you don't have a partner like me and I I have partners but I'm a solo general partner of a venture fund um if you don't have a structure where you can really kind of lean on somebody else it is really important to have the right support system and a support system that gets you out of your head and gets you to be in a much more strategic position. Um, so that's like, I think number one on, on leadership. Um, I've been really lucky to spend time around people who have pioneered this movement of conscious investing, of impact investing uh, throughout the years. And um, one of them, her name is Suzanne Beagle. She has 
been the mother of gender smart investing and really pushing the boundary that we still have around acknowledging that women are underinvested in, but women also deserve and merit more investment into their businesses, into their funds. They deserve more options for investing into other women. And to watch somebody really go all the way in creating a community and a narrative and a storyline and investable opportunities for gender smart investing for decades, because I've known her now for almost two decades, has been tremendous inspiration for me. Um, no work is easy, but I'm going to set, go out on a limb and say that particularly gender smart work is not easy. I don't actually think that the world cares about women. And I think it's, it's sad to say, but I think that the world cares about making money. And if they don't see that that's going to be the quickest path to making money, your average investor is not going to feel good about picking a woman and have that be his or her decision point. Um, And so to watch somebody fight against a tide um, is really, really inspiring because there are moments that I have to do that too. You know, investors think that emerging markets are super risky or that they, you know, that they're corrupt or that, you know, people are poor and they don't have food on their plates in Africa, which is not true on a, you know, more generalized basis. So, um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, she's been a really incredible guiding light for me and will continue to be that. Beautiful. If you could paint me a picture of a more equitable world for women, what would be some of the highlights that you could share with us? I'm not going to tell you that it's more investment in women. And I'm not going to tell you that it's, you know, more women with money either. I think it's a deep acknowledgement that women are valued and I don't think we're there. And it's, it's really sad for me, but I think that we're, we are swimming against a tide of just programmed patriarchy and it's nobody's fault. I'm not blaming anybody by saying that, but it's just the way that everything has been built around us and the people that exist here and the men and the women that exist here on the planet today, you know, don't, didn't even have a a hand in building this system. They were not around. And so we are swimming against this tide. And I think the work that needs to be done is much deeper. It's, it's much deeper. And it is on the level of somebody truly looking within and saying, everybody is valuable. And so I'm actually going to value everybody equally. And until we do that, I think we'll continue to have tokenism. And um, there are certain things that work. And, you know, we are both in YPO. Um, I'm a spouse in, in YPO. And I've observed that some of their rules around women joining later in their careers and being more sensitive to women starting careers later in their lives, I think that does work. It opens, you know, a door, uh, or, you know, even certain chapters have lowered the, 
uh, or actually have not lowered the bar, but have actually increased the bar to have more social engagement in the community. And once they did that, they had way more female members um, because the women actually met that criteria better than the men. So those things will work. And I, I also think it's good to have quotas to have women on boards um, because still we have all male boards in places where, where those quotas don't exist. And I think that that's weird and unacceptable for the year that we're in. But these are all signals to me that the work is still superficial. If I'm hearing you correctly, it's not just in the strategy or starting a business. It's truly in a level of human self-awareness awareness and consciousness and how we see and view and value people. Yes. Yeah. Love that. It's very true. Okay. What are the first basic steps to becoming an impact or conscious investor? And how do you believe that we can shape a better future together? Um, specifically, if you have any stats on women and you know the, the power that we do have in how we spend money, I would love for you to share that and just some basic first steps. I mentioned one that I, I did after I read your book, but any advice you could give people that are passionate about this? The first basic step in becoming a conscious investor is to recognize that no investment is neutral. Um, it's also to define your values. And then from there, you start to have this muscle of everything has an impact and these are my values. So how do I bring those two together to create my own life strategy to live my values? Um, when it comes, so those are, I think, the, the easiest, that's lowest hanging fruit. How can we shape a better future together? I think we can all take time out of our day to be authentically aligned with our values. And I think it's very easy, and I've been guilty of this, you know, grab the plastic bag or I'm traveling and I don't have access to that product that, you know, is more carbon sensitive, or frankly, I'm traveling and I'm on a plane, you know, we're all human. But I think if small things add up, and I can share one statistic, which is that I think everybody knows, but the US retail investor is the largest investor in the world. We have the most developed, maybe outside of the place like Switzerland, which is, you know, a banking economy, we have the most developed in, like retail investor and even pension fund investment um, marketplace um, combined because of the size of our country um, and because everybody is relatively banked, even though there are underbanked people in the U.S. as well. Um, and that collective power says everything to me. It says that if you make a small shift in your retirement savings or you make a small shift in your, it could be, thousand dollar savings that's you know in a in a stock or bond fund you can actually change the tide if everybody realizes that they are a part of something bigger than themselves so i think that's where we can have a tremendous impact similarly with our consumer choices you know i think either reusing recycling like this does not have to be about consumerism and i'm like you know I, i'm very aware that we don't need to buy new things you can you can buy something used. You can get on one of these incredible Facebook groups that is a care economy in your neighborhood and share things. Um, but really understanding that we add up to a whole 
I think is most important. And then when it comes to women, yeah, women make the most consumer decisions in the households in America. Um, I actually think how we can build a better future going back to gender is Eve Rodsky's work. I don't know if you know her, but she wrote the book Fair Play Life. And in this conversation around the value of women, women need to reclaim their time. And I think when women start to reclaim their time, they'll reclaim their value. They'll define their values and they'll make better decisions and they won't be so reactive in a cycle of parenting, um, you know, relationship, working maybe or not, but mostly working um, and, you know, not having any time for themselves. That That is a very unhealthy equation for the gender that I think has much more empathy naturally and is more inclined to take care of their community. We want women to be empowered to make the decisions that take care of communities. Incredible. The pressures on working women are real. How do you practice self-care? Well, I've been really open about this in other interviews. I have a pretty robust support system. Um, and I don't think that I would be able to be a venture capitalist in emerging markets and capture this really unique once in a lifetime opportunity that I am in my portfolio without a tremendous support system. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, things don't get busy. Um, you know, I, I did Pilates this morning. I actually have a chronic injury and I'm starting to become much more vocal about what it means to have a chronic injury and what it means for my like time needed for my personal health. And while one side of me, I'm sure women and men listening to this can relate, felt bad about the fact that I had to focus on my health and was like, oh, wow, you know, to take that time out. I actually think that's probably a good thing. Um, I think self-care can also, it's a mindset. And I'll tell you a small, quick story. I was flying with my daughter last night from Los Angeles to Dallas, and she was watching Mickey Mouse. And she has her headphones on, so she can't hear the people, how loud she's speaking. And she, she, she goes, mama, everything is amazing. And I was like, wow, I have no idea if she's talking about Mickey Mouse or she's talking about being on this plane right now with me. But regardless, that mindset will give you a tremendous amount of energy. So if you see the glass half empty, I really want you, not necessarily you Delray, but the listeners to take a deep look at where that's coming from. And analyze that first before you go down the conscious investing journey, because I want you to come to this from a place of abundance, from a place of possibility, from knowing that the pie is not finite. This is not a zero sum game. We can all win. And when we all win, I think that we we all ultimately feel better. And that's what we're looking for. And that's frankly, self-care. It's feeling better. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I mean, if you could go back in time and give advice to your younger self, what would you say? There are many young women. We asked this on our podcast too, (laughs) which I'm recording later on today. Um, I would remove a lot of the perfectionism that women have to deal with. And I think, of course, some of it is upbringing 
but I think a lot of it is imposed by society. And if I were to teach my little girl one thing that has wasted a ton of time for me and held me back from my goals, it, it is having to be too perfect. I actually had uh, lunch with one of my investors yesterday and we had this exact same conversation because women do get bogged down with all the details and the perfectionism and it doesn't allow you to create at large scale. You know, there's this concept in building a company of like fail fast. If you're going to fail, build your prototype and fail fast and then iterate from there. I think that's a very masculine concept and it's something I actually would like to learn more, you know, even now, but I absolutely got stuck in a lot of other people's narratives. So to take it one step further, it's to evaluate what my narrative is. And I know this is part of your story too, vis-a-vis somebody else's narrative. You know, I've been told everything. This is a hobby for you. In my raise for my venture fund, a portfolio manager said, is this a pet project? I've been asked, do you work part-time? Do you work from home? Do you have an office? All these silly questions where other others are imposing their narrative on me. And I think I would tell my younger self to just let it go because none of that is actually relevant for my journey. It's just a distraction. Incredible. Can you share a meaningful moment with us, whether it's personal or professional, that you feel occurred in your life because you chose to align with your values as a conscious investor? I have so much energy from my work. Um, You know, I I actually get a lot of this feeling when I go on planes and I just put on a Spotify playlist and I am working for three hours, whichever, or nine hours or 15 hours, wherever I'm going. But the meaningful moments are really in feeling so values aligned with the work that I do. And, you know, a lot of people look at me and they're like, how does she travel to... India and Africa four times a year and live in London in the summer and have two kids and be a wife. None of this feels like work. And that's for me, the meaning it's probably, there are individual moments where I'll just sit at my desk and be super excited. This is my desk. So you're seeing me in that environment because something happened where a company that we invested in that has a deep impact succeeded in a certain way. Um, that feels so good to me. And it's why I've set up my entire career around it. Incredible. One last question that I didn't share with you ahead of time. If you had all the resources and the tools you needed to back an impact project right now that you're working on or a business, which one would you want? I know you want all of them to succeed, but which one would be the one that you would want to see take off? I know. Or a couple. Give us an yeah. example of who you're working with right now and what Sure. Kind of- you know, I my grandfather was a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad lived in Tanzania as a result of my grandfather starting a, a hospital in western Tanzania. I have a proclivity for the healthcare space. So I would definitely say that I think the highest impact can be had in healthcare. Um, the one company that always comes to mind for me is called Kasha. It's a women's health e-commerce platform in East Africa that is scaling across the continent. If I could have a 
a wand and be the fairy godmother and just wave it and say, this is business is going to go, you know, scale right now. And it's going to provide access to women's health in a destigmatized way across the entire continent of Africa. Oh, and by the way, it's going to be Africa's largest and most, um, most prolific femtech um, and have a, you know, a tremendous value to show what it means to serve the female consumer. That's probably the one I would pick to really accelerate fast because funny enough, Delray, we don't even have a one-stop shop like Kasha in the U S you know, if you want to buy feminine sanitation, you go to the drugstore, if you do, or you do the directors consumer companies, but Kasha sells soaps and lotions and even now some of the commodities as well um, that, you know, we would maybe we want. And so it's, it's really this incredible model that's created for the African market, but has the potential to just inspire businesses around the world. And so I think that that's one of them. I'll give you one quick preview of another mm-hmm. one that's entering our portfolio. It's a drone healthcare delivery business in mm-hmm. India called Red Wing Labs. And what I love about that is it's it's a business that's helping leapfrog technology. And there aren't as much talk as there is about, you know, clean tech or, um, you know, EV tolls and drones. There's a lot of barrier. And I think to, to actually have invested in a business that has built their own drone is is able to distribute blood, vaccines, long-tail drugs, out to rural areas, cut down the delivery time in an infrastructurally extremely complex place like India, um, and is also building in India for the rest of the world, which is a massive theme in our portfolio that I'm super excited about being on the ground floor of. Um, That one, I think I would also... um, you know, kind of look to provide it with the most resources possible if, if, if resources were, uh, were unlimited. Incredible. And you align with your founders. You most often align with founders before, before the business or both. What are some of the qualities that you look for in a founder? Yeah. Um, we look for conscious leaders, leaders who are thinking about all stakeholders. We won't invest in leaders who are not thinking about all stakeholders and, what I mean by that is if you're just working for your shareholders and your customers and you don't care about anybody in between, um, including your employees, and we've seen countless examples of that in Silicon Valley, um, or you're actually not thinking about you know, the consequences of your actions, a la Silicon Valley Bank, which is not to blame. I mean, there were things that needed to be done better. There were things that they were working with that I don't think could have been changed because they were actually working with a lot of smaller companies and funds, but just to share kind of this thread, if you're not a conscious leader, we're not investing in you. And we actually score for that. We have a 40 question questionnaire around that. We're really centered around evaluating you as a conscious leader. Um, and that's the secret sauce. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you for being an amazing role model, not only for myself, but women everywhere. I talk to my girls. My 19-year-old is getting involved in YNG and she feels lonely. She wants to have these kind of conversations. And I feel like this next generation that is 
coming up is even more passionate about ESG goals and conscious business and because they've seen they've seen the result of years of us not prioritizing that. So I'm excited to see what your daughter does, my daughters do on this planet with incredible role models like yourself. Do you have any last words of wisdom for our audience? I would just love to say thank you for opening up this conversation and allowing the space to dive a little bit deeper, but also ask some courageous questions. Um, I think that this podcast is is serving a need in in the minds and hearts of women and girls and, and everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm excited to have been a guest here. So thank you so much. Thank you, Eva. And if any of you listening have a platform that you feel Eva's message should be shared on, please reach out to either one of us. I know this is my passion is connecting and getting women in front of bigger opportunities to share their message of impact. Thank you so much, Eva. Thank you. Well, that concludes another episode of Well-Spoken Podcast. Remember, stay open, curious, and think abundantly to co-create a better future together.